You are listening to a Pleasure Podcast. For more from our Sex Podcast Collective, visit PleasurePodcasts.com. Hello, new friends and longtime American fuckers. Welcome to American Sex, a podcast dedicated to normalizing conversations about pleasure and alternative sexual expression by challenging those puritanical, backward ass ideals we have right here in the United States. Now, this is episode 106 of American Sex Podcast, and I am Sunny Megatron. My awesome, wonderful co-host is Ken Melvoinberg, and he'll be joining us in a few minutes. We're sexuality educators, pleasure advocates, and kinky perverts too. So this week, we are having a conversation with Callie Wright, She is your trans mom, your lesbian dad, a super okay roller derby player, and the host of Queer Splaining, a podcast that tells stories about the lives of queer and trans people and the issues that affect how they navigate the world. So Callie sat down with us to have a candid conversation about her experience with bottom surgery. Now, Callie had the surgery about two years ago. And it was a long journey, not only getting comfortable with herself, but also learning to have orgasms again. Although most trans folks don't usually just openly talk about their genitals, having these conversations is important to Callie because this information is information that's reaffirming and necessary for those that do opt for bottom surgery and are rediscovering their sexuality after the fact. So some of the specifics of our conversation, well, Callie starts off giving us a snapshot at her life, not only leading up to bottom surgery, but also establishing her trans identity. Then she takes us step by step through the physical and mental prep for bottom surgery, the procedure itself and the healing process. She talks about the return of her sexual function. Now the procedure does carry a small risk of sensation not returning to pre-surgery levels. So that can be a little scary. Her journey reclaiming her sexuality with her new vagina was multi-layered. And she tells tells us how it affected her marriage, her relationship with her body, and the psychological aspects of sex that were also a factor. We also get into the loss of male privilege upon transitioning. And let me tell you, that was a very validating part of the conversation for me. Kelly also touches on being non-binary and trans and how that confuses a lot of folks. Oh, and also she surprises us with her fluency in Klingon. Yes, we're a bunch of geeks. So I do want to mention that early on in our interview, Kelly talks about some dark times prior to her transition, and that includes details about suicidal ideation and some facts about suicide and self-harm in the LGBTQ plus community. So I definitely want to mention that so you can take care of you and sit this one out if you need to. Okay, before we get to Callie, I have to share an email that I got this week with you. An avid listener and Patreon supporter, Dustin Miller, sends me this email and it reads, don't know why I had to do this, but I did. And I was like, what? But you'll find out. Um, Then I love y'all. And I'm so thankful for the communities you are helping me find from Dustin Miller. And I was like, okay, cool. So I see attached was an MP3 titled American Sex Body Fluids Remix. And I was like, what? So I had to play that shit immediately. And oh my God, 
this is the best thing in the like seriously all right i'm just gonna shut up and let you listen to this and then we'll talk about it so get check this that was from my pussy oh wow Okay, right? Right. Dustin, you are a goddamn musical genius. I swear. When I heard that, it was it was late at night. I saw the email. I have not laughed like belly laughed from the depths of my soul that hard and I don't know how long. It was fucking brilliant. I had to listen to it over and over and over and over. Of course, Dustin, seriously, thank you so much. I don't have words for how much I absolutely love that. And then I went and I played it to Ken and we were just dying. Oh my God. So thank you, Dustin. I also want to give a shout out to the Sex Educator Skillshare training organized by Ducky Doolittle. So if you're an existing or aspiring sexuality educator, you can access free online training every single Sunday through the end of calendar year 2019. So I'm going to have this website in the show notes at americansexpodcast.com for episode 106 because it's a mouthful. But if, you, if you're quick and you got a pen, it's sextoyradio.com slash sex dash educator dash skill dash share dash conference. So I volunteered my time to teach podcasting for audience growth and revenue on Sunday, December 8th. But there is something amazing and valuable by so many oh just brilliant sex educators every damn week so go check out the website sign up for what you want to sign up for because these are gonna fill up fast so jump on this so lastly check this i i want you to sign up for our newsletter okay and here's why it's not because we send them out on any regular basis or any regular schedule in fact our newsletters are exceptionally infrequent. But this is why. You know how social media platforms are cracking down on anything related to sex, right? They're straight up deleting social media accounts of sexuality educators with no warning. Apple is even starting to censor podcast descriptions. So what's next? I don't know. So to be sure we don't lose touch in the event of a censorship crackdown, our mailing list might be the only way that we can all stay connected. So if you have your phone handy, you can sign up for our mailing list right now by texting the word Megatron to the number 444-999. That's it. You're in. And if you prefer the web, you can always go to SunnyMegatron.com slash newsletter. Okay, American fuckers, are you ready for this awesome convo with Callie Wright? Oh, get right. It's so good. And there's Klinga. I mean, it's just, it is like a geeky, a geeky dream, a geeky sex positive LGBTQ plus dream. You'll see. Come experience it with me. 
on the line this week. And again, I think this is just going to be a regular thing. It's super excited time because I say with every guest, I'm super excited and I am. We have Callie Wright of the Queer Splaining Podcast. Hi, Callie. Hi, Callie. Hello, friends. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited. We're going to talk about all things oh, wait, trans. I got pre- to preface but... this episode what? or something. So whenever we talk to anybody on our podcast, uh, we always ask about what their pronouns are. And in this case, I just said, I'm going to call you foolish mortal until you tell me what your <laughs> pronoun is. And Callie said that foolish mortal is fine. So therefore, if you re- hear me referring to Callie as foolish mortal, that is why. Yes. Yeah. Just and for the record, she, her, or they, them. Uh, those are interchangeable for me, and that's fine. Awesome. awesome. Cool. And all of our foolish mortal but, but foolish American mortal fuckers. Foolish mortal is okay, yes? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, totally. Okay. okay. Perfect. Although Kelly has uh, uh, proven to be a wise mortal at this point. I don't think foolish mortal may necessarily apply. Yes. Yes. You've leveled up. So. <laughs> come true. A level one foolish mortal. <laughs> level two foolish level mortal. Level two foolish mortal. You're right. Oh, my God. I'm a terrible gamer. Level two foolish mortal. <laughs> all right. So, um. We're going to talk today about your trans experience, and I want to preface our conversation with someone, and if you can kind of explain to us and the Foolish Mortal American Fuckers listening along why today we're going to be asking you some really personal questions, and you're going to be talking about some really personal things, namely genitals and those sorts of things. However, is that normally something that's okay to ask? No, unless someone specifically says, like, this is a conversation I'm ready to have, uh, then we should probably just err on the side of not bringing up the topic of trans folks' genitals. Um, this is a thing that I talk about all of the time. I've probably made six episodes of my own podcast about my vagina. I think I've given, like, two talks about my vagina. Um, so these are conversations that I am proactively willing uh, and interested in having with folks. Um, that is not a universal attitude among trans folks. Some folks would rather uh, keep that entirely private, and that's super, super valid. Um, but I do feel like these are important experiences to talk about for those of us who are comfortable talking about them. And so that's why we're doing this. Awesome. And I thank you for that, because these are conversations that um, I think a lot of people are curious about. But yeah, it's the the, the etiquette, you know, either it's like, and they ask all these questions, you're like, shut up, this is so inappropriate. Or people know that it's inappropriate, but they still have questions and they don't have a place to get those answers. So I thank you for having this conversation with us. Yeah, for sure. Well, and, and a lot of it's about framing too, honestly, because I've had people ask me that question where I just, you know, I mentioned that I have this big life changing experience and I can tell they're asking because they just kind of want to understand where I'm coming from. Mm-hmm. And I can appreciate that. But I've also been asked those questions in a way where like somebody is just waiting to be shocked by the answer. Like that's what they're after in the conversation. Uh, and obviously that's like really gross and objectifying and I'm not into that. Right, right. That makes sense. So introduce yourself as a person to us in in terms of your of your transness like where do we start here um so i first kind of had my first gender feels when i was like 10 but uh you know i didn't grow up in a society or in an environment where those things were known like it wasn't a thing to me that trans people existed like i just felt really weird about my body and the way that i related to other people in terms of gender um and you know i had this like moment in the lunchroom when i was in fifth grade and i was like oh my god i was supposed to be a girl Mm -hmm. and like i didn't really have any more uh any deeper language to identify what was going on at that point and 
you know, like kind of rolled that over my head on and off for a really long time until I was 28. So, um, going on like five or six years ago at this point. Mm-hmm. And, um, it just kind of came to a head and I, uh, finally like worked up the courage to Google the word transgender, uh, which is like, it's this weird psychological thing where like when you, when it, when it leaves your head, even if it's into a keyboard, it like becomes more real, mm-hmm. um, which is like, it makes sense, but it's also kind of weird, I think. Uh, and then, you know, just the more and more I read, the more and more I thought about it and turned it over and listened to other people's experiences. I was like, gosh, I really think this is me. Um, and then I, uh, the first person that I ever told about it was a really, really close friend of mine. And, uh, she was like, well, this sounds like something that you really have to figure out about yourself. Cause I was very depressed. Uh, I was having some really, really dark thoughts that, uh, I didn't, I didn't like having it. It was really kind of starting to scare me. And I was like, there's just, there's something wrong and I got to figure out what it is. And, um, and then, and eventually I, I figured that out. I figured out that I was trans and a lot of things just kind of came into focus for me. And, uh, you know, did the whole social thing, changed my name, uh, different pronouns, uh, eventually did hormones and kind of like at every step along the way, life just sort of seemed to fit better. Mm. Uh, the way that I interacted with the world around me and the way that I interacted with other people just started to make sense. Like it just like came into focus. It's like going from like four by three standard def to like HDR, 4K, Blu-ray. Like, yeah, it's like the the difference in the way that I was kind of seeing myself and my life, uh, you know, then versus now. And um, and about two years ago, I had uh, bottom surgery. So uh where, you know, basically they, uh, they kind of surgically invert the penis is the way that it's done most of the time. And, um, kind of the, you know, where that plugs into this is that I've like over the last two years, I've had a really, really, um, difficult journey sort of rediscovering my sexuality. Mm. Um, so yeah, that kind of brings us from then to now. So I have a question about your dark thoughts. Uh, yeah. You let me know if this is too personal. Uh, like, w- was this suicidal ideation? Were you talking oh, yeah. about like stomping on a bunny's head? Like, what what were your dark thoughts? No, uh, what, what really made it come to a head for me is I was driving home from work one night and um, there was like an embankment on the side of the highway. And uh, the thought occurred to me. I was like, you know, if I just like yanked my steering wheel over real hard and like got into a car crash and died, I could end this and uh, no one would realize it was suicide. Like it would look like an accident. And so that like people might, people might be hurt that I was gone, but at least they wouldn't know it was suicide. And so there wouldn't be that extra dimension. Um, And then I kind of, that kind of like, I had that thought and then realized how bad a thought that is. Uh, And that kind of snapped me back to reality. And I kind of um, went home that night and I was like, okay, like there is something really serious going on. Like I have to figure out what this is and, uh, and, and just, you know, try to figure out what's going on and fix these feelings because, um, you know, over a certain period of time, I was really scared that, you know, it might get worse than that and something bad actually might happen. The reason that I asked that is that the suicide rate for trans people is way higher than the national average. Astronomically, uh, yeah. astronomically high. Like, and I, I, I've seen numbers as high as in the nineties. Am I, am I close to that? Um, so I'm not sure about suicidal ideation. I know the numbers for attempts off the top of my head. Um, so for the population as a whole, it's like four to five ish percent for LGB folks. It's like 10 to 15%. And for trans folks, it's just over 40%. 
Wow. Wow. Yeah, yeah, that's that's sobering. And that's one in one of the reasons why I bring this up is that a lot of times people will come to us and they say, "You know what? I have a kid and the kid says that they're trans and I don't know what to think of this." And I've always been uh somebody who when I take a look at this, I think about, "All right, what what are the positives and what are the negatives?" And one of the negatives that I found about that was the incredibly high suicide ideation rate at the very least as well as suicide rate of people that want to fully develop their transness or, you know, as opposed to being held back. And sometimes even if they're being uh, fluid with what they're doing and, you know, there are people that fluidly go to trans come uh, and, and they may go back to cis, uh, but it's not a phase. It's something that actually helps prevent suicide in many ways, just to let them explore that part of themselves. What do you think about that? Well, I think that's not exactly the right way to frame it because the the way that I look at it is that um, there's like there's so much there's so many layers of stuff that surrounds gender in our society and unpacking that can sometimes be a lifelong journey. Um, so it's not so much that people are. Um, I mean, sometimes people's identities can be fluid and change, uh, and that's super valid. Uh, but in my own experience, what I find is not so much that your identity is changing. It's just that like the, you kind of unpack more and more of like, what's, what of, what of this is been programmed into me by society versus like, what of this is just inherently me. And, um, so like, for example, when I first came out, I went like super hardcore femme. So like dresses, long hair, painted nails, makeup, all, all of that. And that's like what felt right to me. But over time, that just wasn't really interesting to me anymore. And if you like look at me now, I'm like a like a lesbian emo skater chick. Like that's kind of my <laughs> aesthetic. Um, and uh, so it, it's it's not so much that like people people figure out they're trans and then stop identifying as trans and move back and forth than that. It's, I think it's a lot more that like, so I figured out foundationally that the way I relate to myself and to gender is not what was handed to me when I was born. Um, so you can figure that out and then figuring out the details is something that can happen over time. Um, and I mean, the other like super important number to know is um, I hope I'm going to quote this right, but for trans youth, uh, the the likelihood of uh, trans youth committing suicide is reduced by eight times uh, if their family is supportive. Wow. Th that's actually what I was trying to say, but you yeah. just said it much more eloquently than I did. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I mean, part um, of it has to do with personal experience because I've, I'm not trans and mm -hmm. I don't I'm not living in your shoes. And, you know, I guess part of it, what I, th and this is something I just learned being a 50 year old dude, is that sometimes emotional bandwidth is going to be part of this. And you, you know, that increases mm -hmm. as you age. And so does identity with everyone, yeah. whether no matter what, no matter how you identify. Yeah, absolutely. I think, um, I don't know if it's, if it's something that's inherent to age or if it's experience. Um, but I, I definitely do find myself caring less and less about societal pressures as things move on. Um, and maybe that's, that's a, a privilege for me as well, because the, uh, there are lots of ways in which some people are punished for living outside of those norms. And I'm shielded from some of that, uh, you know, by being white, by being middle-class, that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. Where do you live? Cincinnati. Oh, awesome. Yeah. Yeah, actually, I love Ohio. Actually, we have Ohio, we have a strong affinity with Ohio. We do, yeah. actually. <laughs> nice. They have some Raiders of the best, ice cream, uh, skyline like, chili, the most amazing BDSM events in the United States. 
No shit. And yeah. that's what everybody says, even if they're from Ohio. <laughs> yeah. They're like, really? We need to talk a little offline. <laughs> okay. No shit. I had yeah. no idea. Uh, Cope yeah. and Adventures in Sexuality, Winter yeah. Wickedness are the three uh, events that I would and recommend. And that's like in the Columbus, Columbus area. area. Yeah. Not Cincinnati, but Columbus. Yeah. yeah, but that's a short trip. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. All right. So we'll we'll get to that. But I want to yeah. get back to you. So um, you you sat down at Google. You did your Google search, and you know that was just kind of a weight off your shoulders, like you said. When it when it comes onto the keyboard, it's like oh, it's it's becoming real. And you, I'm assuming it sounds like you quickly started your transition. Like, what was the timeline between realization, transition, and then opting for surgery? So the the realization and like coming out and transitioning and all of that sort of stuff was mega fast. Like the first like IRL phone conversation I had with a friend was in May of mm-hmm. I think it was 2013. And I like came out to the world in August <laughs> of wow. that same year. Um, yeah. So I moved super fast uh, and I, I started hormones, I think the April after that. So still pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. And then um, surgery was was a while. So there were a lot of external things kind of, I don't know, influencing the way that I thought about that um, because I was super, super heavy at the time. And uh, surgeons are super gatekeepy around how much you can weigh mm-hmm. to have surgery. Um, they say anesthesia is a lot more risky. I'm not a doctor. I don't know if that's true or not, but I just... I'm just kind of inclined to think that the medical system just hates fat people and it yes, has a lot more to do with I'm that. I'm with you on that. Um, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, and also like, I didn't have a job that had health insurance, let alone health insurance that may or may not cover it. Um, and so I, I was kind of like, well, I don't, I don't want it anyways. I'm, I'm fine with that. Um, but then eventually I got a job that did have health insurance that did cover it. Mm-hmm. And then I was like, oh my God, like this is a possibility. I think I actually do. Um, and then it was just sort of a slow process of thinking through like what it would be like, like what are the consequences, uh, reading a whole lot of people's experiences online, um, about like their experience with the surgery itself, but also, um, their experience of sexuality after the fact and like what the risks are and that kind of stuff. And right. so, I mean, that was probably, God, that was probably two or three years, uh, after coming out and stuff before I like really made the decision, like, okay, this is what I want to do. Um, and then I think it took like 10 months to actually get it done. Wow. So during the time where you decided you wanted to do this and actually, you know, getting it done, I don't know if it were me, like people regard their genitals as a precious commodity. Mm -hmm. And were you afraid? Were you thinking like, what if this is a mistake? What if I don't work the same way? What if it ruins sex? Like did all of those things go through your head? So there was never really a time where I was worried that it was going to be a mistake because Uh I had gotten to a point where I was so uncomfortable. I was like, you know, sex is really important to me, but I would actually give up sex to stop being uh, as uncomfortable as I was. Mm. Um, and so for me, it was like, even if I had to make that trade, like it would be devastating, it would be terrible, uh, but it would still be the right thing to do. And so, you know, the the worry of, of it being a mistake wasn't really ever anything that crossed my mind. Um, but it, I definitely did worry about sexual function because, I mean, there's that risk. It's a low risk. I think it's like two to three percent mm-hmm. um, of people lose sexual function or experience reduced sexual function. Um, and so that was a worry for sure. And of course, the surgeons go out of their way to let you know that it's a risk. Um, but, you know, for me, it, it was a trade that would have been worth it had it happened. Uh, and uh, thankfully, it didn't happen. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, okay, take us through you know, what was 
the actual surgery like and what was the healing? Because I know a, a lot of people listening along are probably like, you know, absolutely no frame of reference, no idea. We're imagining like the most horrible, you know, that's got to hurt. And what what was the healing and the process like? Oh, I, I will be honest and say that it was horrific for me. Really? Um, I, I will emphasize that from what I know, my experience was kind of on the extreme end of difficult. Uh, mm. It was abnormally so. Like most folks don't have as hard a time as I did. Um, I think there were a couple of things that that informed that. Uh, one, I had I had had uh, weight loss surgery and a uh, whole, whole bunch of extra skin to deal with. And uh, that also meant that I couldn't – there were times where I literally couldn't eat enough to to replenish the energy my body was using to heal. Oh, um, I also had some difficulties with uh, dilating. So um, so like I said, basically the process is they uh, kind of surgically invert your penis mm-hmm. um, and they uh, detach the head of the penis and that becomes the clitoris. And um, and, and that's that's the process where uh, sexual function can be lost because if, you know, if they accidentally nick a, a nerve. Um, but uh, dilating was like traumatically painful for me um, to the point where I would like start like shaking uncontrollably when it came time to do it. It was really bad. And can Um, you explain a little bit more for the listeners what exactly dilating is and why it's necessary? Yeah. Super good question. I should have said that. Uh, (laughs) So basically it's a set of, uh, of really like rigid, like medical grade dildos that they give you to put in your vagina to hold it open Um, because your body kind of treats it like an open wound at first. um, Uh And it will close up and collapse if you don't uh, dilate to keep it, to keep the, um, the vaginal canal open. Um, and so doing that was really, really painful. Uh, and I had a a bleeding episode, uh, like I was, uh, like I accidentally hit my urethra on the way in, uh, and like knocked a a stitch and I bled a whole bunch. Um, like, and it looked a lot more scary than it was. Like they said, I lost like 0.2% of my blood volume. Uh, it just turns out there's a lot of blood in the human body. So that's 0.2% is a lot. (laughs) (laughs) Especially when it's like coming out of you. you When it's coming out of my vagina. Like, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Exactly. Uh, uh, And so after that, I mean, it was extraordinarily painful. Uh, The pain meds were great. Uh, I probably would have been, I probably would have ended up with um, like, not like, I'm not like jokingly saying this. I probably would have ended up with PTSD from how bad it, if I didn't have the pain meds. Um, Cause I feel like I was kind of close even with them. Um, And so for, eight weeks or so I kind of, you know, my only relationship was like going to the bathroom, cleaning very, very carefully and dilating. And it's kind of like for the first eight weeks, you don't touch it unless, uh, unless you're doing that because there's still so much healing going on. And, um, so I guess that, that kind of moves into sex. So I don't know if you had more questions about the process. Um, just while this was going on and while you were having such atypical, extreme negative reactions, were you worried? Oh, like, yeah. What was going through your head about that? Well, so I was on a lot of pain meds. And so, like, thinking is weird and, like, memory is a little fuzzy uh, uh, about that time. Uh, I, I was definitely worried 
kind of about sexual function because there's a lot of numbness after the fact. And as your nerves wake up, uh, it kind of feels like getting stabbed with a needle in the crotch, oof, like every oof. time a nerve ending wakes up, uh, which is which is not fun. And sometimes it can happen in clusters. Uh, there was one time where it was like 10 to 15 seconds straight. I was just like on the couch like, oh, my God. Eh. Oh, <laughs> like was, wow. Yeah, it was rough. Um, and so like what makes it, what made it really difficult at first is, uh, the way that my surgeon did it. I don't, I don't know if this is like a universal thing, but the way that my surgeon did it, um, they, once the vaginal canal is formed, they pack it full of gauze, Mm -hmm. uh, to keep it open during the initial healing. And that's, uh, there for like three days. Uh, and then they put a, like a plastic like bolster over top of it to just kind of hold everything together. Okay. And that uh, and they kind of like suture your crotch shut over top of it. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah. <laughs> oh, wow. Indeed. Wow. Uh, and that made I mean, that made literally like any sort of movement very difficult and painful, like walking, any of that kind of stuff. Um, and of course, it, while that was on there, there was a catheter, which those are never fun for anyone. No. Um, I kind of like them. I know. I'm th- as, as you're <laughs> yeah. saying, like, your crotch sh- sh- sewn shut and catheter, I'm like, some real kinky people are like, but hey, that's yeah, pretty cool. you know what? You that's know? fair. Like that's fair. I shouldn't, I shouldn't, I shouldn't make like, blanket statements like that. That's fair. Yeah. Um, but, you know, done consensually for pleasure is a whole different, <laughs> you know, right. you done consensually right. for the, medical purposes. Well, you right, definitely right. puts the ow in wow. Right. Yeah. Right. <laughs> um, and then, like I said, I think it was three days. They uh, cut the sutures out and they pull everything out. Uh, and to this day, like having the, all of the packing pulled out of my vagina is probably the weirdest feeling I've ever felt in my life. Like really? I, I have no frame of reference to which I could describe it uh, that I feel like anyone uh, like. I mean, it just felt like uh, I don't know, it just felt like a somebody like pulling a cheese grater through the inside of my vagina. Oh God. Yeah, it was bad, but it was all like, it was painful, but it was also like, it wasn't just painful. It was also extraordinarily weird. But also that was your first really, you know, I'm imagining vivid experience of experiencing your vagina for the first time. So even though it was like painful and cheese gratery and dreadful, was there a part of you that was like, fucking a like, you know, so not during that point, what happened, uh, it was a- after that happened, uh, she kind of like stuck her fingers inside to check and make sure that the skin graft was taking, uh, cause if they, um, if they can't get you enough depth, uh, just with the penis, they'll take a skin graft from your scrotum, uh, to, to get the rest of the depth that they need. Okay. Um, and so she went to check the skin graft and she's like, okay, that looks good. And then, um, she was like, I'm going to have one of the, uh, one of the nurses come in and show you how to dilate. And mm-hmm. I was like, cool. That's probably going to hurt like fuck. Um, so the doctor left the room and she was gone for five to seven minutes or so. And that was the first time that I had had like just a minute to just kind of like sit and feel like without all of this stuff, like sutured and sewed into my crotch and shit. Mm. Uh, and that was the first time that I kind of had a minute to just kind of sit and like feel like what my body felt like. And immediately it was like, oh shit, this is the, this is it. Like, this is right. Like this, oh. my fucking body makes sense to me oh. now. Um, and it was, it was incredible. Like, um, I, I just, I just started crying. My, uh, my, uh, well, future mother-in-law at this point, mother-in-law now, um, was in the room with me and I just kind of started crying. Um, and she was like, are you okay? And I was like, no, that like, this is a good cry. I'm just, I'm just going to let it go. 
Oh, I like I'm gonna cry. I'm getting a little like my eyes are a little wet. I'm like, Oh, my God, that's so sweet. And I just, I can't even imagine what a moment that would be for you. You know, Oh, it was so good. Um, And then even like after the the bleeding problem that I had, um, because the bleeding problem that I had, I think it was only like two days after that, I went back in to have them look at to look at it. Um, And the doctor was like, Okay, like, we're gonna put gloves on, get some lube on the gloves. And like, you're gonna put your hand down there and feel around so you can tell what's going on. Mm. Um, and I was like, cool. Like it's still, I mean, it's still pretty painful, but it's not quite as painful as it was like a week previous to that. Um, and so like I put on a latex glove, put some lube on it and I stuck my hand down there and she guided my fingers into that area. And I was like, oh my God, like I've, I've touched plenty of vaginas and this feels just like that. <gasps> wow. And I was like, oh my God. Cause like I didn't quite have full sensation back. So I wasn't experiencing it like a sexual sensation. It was more like what my fingers were feeling. Okay. Um, and I was like, like, it's a little bit weird. Cause like I can feel that my finger is touching something, but I don't feel that happening in my crotch. So like, but obviously like it was still healing and all of that. Um, but I was just like, holy shit. Like I've touched b- vaginas before and these, f- th- this feels like a vagina. Uh, oh. and so like, that was another great moment. Oh. Um, and then oh yeah it was so good and then uh and then even just a couple of days after that when the catheter came out um you know they they (laughs) so uncomfortable uh they use the catheter pump uh solution into your bladder and then pull it out to see if you can urinate properly Mm -hmm. um which is an extraordinarily uncomfortable sensation um and and I, I told the nurse, I was like, hey, um, so my bladder is going to be super full. I've not really been using this in a normal way for the last week or so. Like, I'm just worried, like, am I going to be able to hold it long enough to get to the bathroom? Um, and she's like, yeah, yeah, you'll be fine. And I'm like, okay, like, you're the expert. I'm going to trust you on this. Oh. And uh, so sure enough, she pumps it full of, pumps it full of solution pulls the catheter out and she's like, all right, like I had to get up and walk. And of course, as soon as I stand up, uh, I'm just like, and this is I like, I had just taken pain meds before this. So I was kind of like, I was, I wasn't quite all there. Right. Um, and I was like, oh, okay. Like I need to go fast. Cause I'm, I'm doing a bad job of holding it. And everybody's just kind of like, I'm like waddling down the hallway. And, uh, and, <laughs> and at this point my mom is with me and, uh, and my mom's like got her shoulder, got her hand on my shoulder. And I'm just like waddling down the hallway saying like, I'm doing a bad job. I'm doing a bad job. <laughs> <laughs> best youtube video uh, ever uh, right i know i'm so <laughs> mad that i didn't have my audio recorder with me like recording all of this as it was happening uh, um but i i kind of had another one of those moments like after i peed and it was all fine and they were like cool like you can leave the catheter out and so like now you're kind of on your own and then i kind of had another one of those moments like oh this feels right like this is this is the thing oh that's um, so amazing yeah. And like, I don't know, I might be confusing the order of some of these things. Like I said, I was on a lot of pain meds. And yeah, like, we're not going to hold it. We're not going to be like, no, I'm going to look up in the archives. There <laughs> right. <aren't>. But yes, <laughs> I mean, all of these things happened. I might be reporting them in, in incorrect orders. Yeah. Uh, but don't let yeah. the truth get in the way of a good story. Exactly. <laughs> right. Yeah, <that's> never, <laughs> never, never. Um, so you had all these, these, mo- these new moments that were amazing and that were like, you know, this is right. This is what I've been wanting. This is it. Like, you know, I've done the right thing. And so now, you know, we're, we're talking about just function and existing. Mm-hmm. But then now let's move into sex. How long did it take for you to be able to have sex? Like, is there a, a long waiting period of healing? Like, 
Yeah. So in the paperwork they give you, they tell you that it's safe to attempt sexual activity after eight weeks because um, that's kind of like when all of the the wounds have closed up. Mm-hmm. Um, what they what they don't emphasize, which it was told to me that it could take a long time, uh, but the paperwork just says like it's safe to give it a shot after eight weeks. And so, of course, I mean, literally eight weeks to the day. Um, I decide to, I just, I decide to go exploring. Fuck me now. Yeah. Um, and I was, I mean, I was just in my bedroom just like with myself and I kind of started feeling around down there and I was like, oh, like I really don't have any feeling down there in any significant way. Uh, um, and so like I was kind of bummed, but I had been told like for some people it can take as long as a year. And I have one friend who told me it took her three years. Ooh. Um, wow. Yeah. And so I was like, I was bummed, but I wasn't shocked. Um, And then, you know, I waited a couple of weeks and tried again and kind of had the same experience. And, uh, and then I kind of just stopped trying. Um, And I had just thought to myself, like, well, I don't really know. I don't really know what's happening. But like, this keeps being a disappointing experience. And so maybe I'm just going to stop trying. Um, because I'm really afraid that I'm going to get, like, I'm going to get really, really aroused and I'm not going to be able to do anything about it. And it's going to be a really emotionally damaging thing for me. So like, I'm just going to stop trying. Mm. Um, and how long did you continue not trying? Like, did that go on a while up until almost a year? Wow. Um, it was literally, it was maybe a week and a half before one year, uh, my wife actually initiated, uh, I, I had helped a friend move and I came home and my wife was still in bed and it was like one o'clock in the afternoon and she didn't normally sleep that long. Um, and so I thought like, Oh gosh, if she's still in bed, maybe she's not feeling good. And I was like, you know, I got up super early. I kind of feel like taking a nap. So like I took my clothes off and got into bed and I was going to just like take a nap. Uh, and then uh, as soon as I get in bed, my wife turns over and looks at me and I was like, Oh, like she was in bed trying to masturbate. And she just kind of looks at me and she goes, your wife is horny. And I was like, oh, oh okay, let's mm-hmm. let's give this a shot. Let's see what's going on. Yeah. Um, and so we did it. And like, I didn't have an orgasm, but I was like, oh, my God, like that's that's sexual feeling. Like I can I, I feel pleasure down there. It feels really good. And I could kind of feel my feel myself building to an toward an orgasm. But I got kind of overstimulated. Mm-hmm. Um. But I, I was like, oh, my God, like this is such a positive development because that was something that I realized even after starting hormones that like an orgasm wasn't necessarily uh, necessary for me to have a good time anymore. Right. Um, right. And so after that, I was thinking like, oh, my gosh, like so like sexual function confirmed uh, and I like had a good time. And it was just a couple of days after that. Uh, my wife had a d and D thing. So she was uh, she oh, was in you're her- a gamer geek, too. Oh, ish my wife more so than me yeah okay cool, cool. but i mean i okay. am but my wife yeah. more so okay good. um <laughs> I, so, I like you even more so. <laughs> <laughs> um and so because i like i really wanted to kind of try to figure things out on myself before i tried to direct my wife or anyone else and right. to like try this try this which is what we um, recommend you know as sexuality educators we recommend that to anyone trying something yeah. new for the first time you know absolutely so, yeah um and so i knew she was going to be in there playing D for at least three or four hours so like i had time Um, and so like I set up on the couch, I grabbed a towel, I grabbed some lube, I had a vibrator and I was like, I'm going to make this thing fucking happen. (laughs) Um, and, uh, and sure enough, I did the thing and it turned, it was three days shy of one year post-surgery. 
I had my first orgasm and it oh. was amazing. Um, and I had this big teary moment with myself. And as soon as I could tell the D and D game was over, like I ran into the office and I was like, babe, I did the thing. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Did she tell you you rolled a 20? Yeah, totally rolled a 20. (laughs) (laughs) I had a crit gasm. Like, did you crit? Yeah. (laughs) Kind of, I guess. totally crit. Is that what the kids are calling it nowadays? Maybe you just rolled a one before. Right. Yeah. Now I want to call it, I want to call every orgasm now a clit crit. (laughs) Ah, that's so good. Oh, that's so good. I love that idea. We're going to make that a thing. All right. Um... Hey, it's Sunny. I know that sometimes it's hard to prioritize your pleasure. You're busy, right? Your inbox is full. Oh my God, what the hell are you going to be for Halloween? And wait a minute, there's no food in the fridge. Gotta go shopping. You haven't had a moment to yourself in who knows how long. So why not take a moment to reconnect with yourself and prioritize your pleasure with Dipsy Stories. Dipsy is an audio app full of short, sexy stories and guided sessions designed to turn you on. Each story is created with women in mind. They're relatable and immersive. And there's something for everyone, whether you're into men, women, or maybe both at the same time. Find stories about strangers meeting on the beach in Mexico or seeing that ex you can't stop thinking about when you're on the subway or a partner who wants to up the ante in the bedroom. Or the kitchen, or the garage, or maybe the Target dressing room. Dipsy's guided sessions can help unlock new confidence or heighten intimacy with your partner. They add three brand new stories every week, so you'll always have more to explore. Whatever you're in the mood for, Dipsy always keeps it real and really, really hot. And for listeners of American Sex Podcast, Dipsy is offering a 30-day free trial when you go to dipsystories.com slash sunny, S-U-N-N-Y. That's a 30-day free trial when you go to D-I-P-S-E-A stories.com slash sunny. Go do it. Put your pleasure first. Dipsystories.com slash sunny. But uh, but then even after that, it was kind of like, oh, I figured out I figured out this is a thing, and I kind of stopped wanting to after that. Hmm. Why? Um, I I don't really know. Like that's part of what was weird and kind of difficult was that you know I would think like, eh, you know, masturbation would be fun, but like also I got some podcast work to do. I'll probably just go do that. You know, like that kind of stuff. Um, and that just kind of happened every oh my time. God. Welcome to my life. Are we the same right. person? We might be, honestly. <laughs> like I was just thinking, yeah. uh, <laughs> and I was just thinking how I would be just the I'd be like orgasm first. The <laughs> podcast is going to have to wait. I need you to come on something. Oh God, it's our universal story. <laughs> oh God, I I feel it so hard. Uh, but then like. Like my wife would try to initiate and I'm just like, oh, I'm not feeling it. And like, because my wife is awesome, she always respected it. But I could tell she was a little like, I, I kind of want to have sex. Um, she never made me feel guilty and she never pressured me or anything like that. Like my mm. wife is amazing. Uh, but I could tell she was a little bummed because she like had more sexual desire than I did. Um, and like, I can't even really say that it ever, ca- like it didn't cause any tension or difficulty in our relationship, but it was just kind of like, oh, like, is this where we are now? Like, um, because at the beginning of our relationship, I was a very, very sexual person and I was kind of the one taking the lead on all of that. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, post-surgery, it kind of seemed like uh, the roles had reversed a little bit 
and I just kind of didn't want it. And why do you think that was? I I don't really know. Like I I rolled over a couple of different thoughts in my head. Um, one being that like everything that creates testosterone in my body was finally gone. And so it might've been just like a chemical hormone thing Mm. um, where there just wasn't anything in me sent like signaling that I want it. Um, The, the other thing that I thought about was that because of the, the gender dysphoria that I had around my penis before surgery um, that kind of turns into an obsession and a fixation on that area. Mm -hmm. Um, And so like, maybe now that I didn't have that anymore, like maybe that's what my like extra sexuality pre-surgery was about in the first place. Like, I don't know that, but I was Ah. thinking like, maybe that's what was going on. Um, But then the other thing that I thought about too, was just that like, because of all of the difficulty that I had, um, there was just like in my head, like my vagina was just like a black hole. It's like to be avoided at all costs. Like, like, you know, when you go to the bathroom and when you take a shower, you clean up. But aside from that, you just don't touch it because only bad things happen when you do that. Mm. Um, and, um, and so it kind of went that way for almost another year. Um, it was maybe like once or twice in that year, uh, I would, uh, I would masturbate or like my wife and I would do stuff together. And, um, and it actually, because again, I, we're going to have another same person moment here because everything in my life comes back to podcasting. Um, there was a yep. week where I was like, I was like, I don't have an episode of the show this week. I don't know what I'm going to talk about. Um, so then he was like, I had an interview, something happened to the audio or somebody canceled last minute or something. Um, and my wife was like, well, why don't we do the talk that we had been talking about, about our like journey in sexuality and like how difficult that's been. Um, and I was like, cause we had talked about doing that before and I was like, well, yeah, I mean, as long as you're okay with that, cause like I'd made several episodes of my podcast about my vagina, I'm not shy. Um, my wife is not quite as outgoing about those kinds of things as I am. So I always like double check in with her. Right. Um, and she was like, yeah, like we should, you know, we should definitely do that. And I was like, okay, cool. Like I'm going to go make dinner and then I'll set up the mics and we can record. And, uh, I got up to go in the kitchen to make food. And she asked for a hug and I was like, yeah, of course. And like, I went in for like extra hug because I knew we were probably going to have a difficult conversation in the recording of that podcast. Uh, and before I know it, we're like making out and fingering each other and all kinds of sexual, sexual shit is happening. Um, and like we both had orgasms and it was amazing. And then we were both just kind of like, what the fuck just happened? And wow. did you just ignore the poor podcast? You're right. <laughs> well, no, this, it, it, it gets, it gets, it, it, it gets to a podcast again, because everything <laughs> in my life does, right? Uh, <laughs> um, and, uh, so we're just kind of talking after that. And she's like, she's like, you, like you came after me. And I was like, no, like you came after me. And like, you know, like we started making out and like, I thought I was reciprocating to her and she thought she was reciprocating to me. And like, so I like, I don't really know what happened. Like maybe I did initiate without thinking about it or maybe she did. I I don't really know, honestly. Um, But then eventually like after our like whole night of escapades was over, I still set up the mics and we like laid in bed, snuggling each other, recording that episode of the podcast. That's so sweet. Okay. Uh, What episode was that? Because people want to hear this now. Oh my gosh. What did I call it? And if you can't remember, I'll put it in the show notes. You can tell me later. I'll put it in the show notes at AmericanSexPodcast.com. And then everyone can go listen to it. Because I know I want to go listen to it now. And I'm going to be like, I know you were snuggling. And I know what happened before that. I just had an epiphany that we're all in open relationships with our fucking podcasts. 
We are. And you yeah. spend way more time with the podcast than you spend with me, Sonny. I know. Oh, the I episode know. is called My Friends, I've Found It. Okay, perfect. Perfect, perfect. Um, so, yeah. Uh, and now, um, you know, I, I'm not like, I don't like masturbate every day or anything like that, but like rather often. Um, and, uh, and my wife and I do stuff together, like not quite as often as we used to, but we're all, we're also more busy than we Mm -hmm. used to be. Um, and so I feel kind of like, like I've arrived as a sexual person again. Um, but I'm also like, I'm still figuring out how my vagina works. And I feel like that can be true for a lot of people, even people who are 48 (laughs) and I'm a sexuality educator and I'm still figuring out how my vagina works. So right. Right. And so that's fine. Right. (laughs) And so that's not even exactly hashtag trans problems, right? Right, right. <laughs> um, Just vagina problems across yeah. the board. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so for me, like, I kind of want to go back and sort of like re-explore all of the kink that I used to do and see if it's still, see if that still makes sense for me to do. Because I mean, like, that's still the porn that I like when I masturbate. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, so yeah, so like I've, I've kind of arrived here again after this like long, weird journey where like there were a couple of points where I'm just like, well, maybe I'm just asexual and like there's nothing wrong with being asexual. It would just be weird for me to end up in that place given how into sex I was before that. Right. Um, and, uh, and like turns out, no, like that's not, that's not the case. Like I am still, well, I'm sexual again. Um, mm-hmm. so, you know, I just kind of, and, you know, when I think back, like I can think of a bunch of reasons maybe why, like, uh, you know, like we talked about. Uh, but now I'm just like, I'm not afraid of my vagina anymore. Oh, I'm so happy. <laughs> I am happy for you and your vagina. Thank you. <laughs> so, okay, as I'm listening to you talk, I think one of the questions that's probably floating around uh, the listeners' minds right now is like, okay, compare contrast, you know, I mean, I hate to, to boil it down to the Coke and Pepsi challenge or whatever, but <laughs> was your sexual function the same different like you know when you think back of what your sex was before the surgery and what it feels like now how would you compare those two so that's really hard because there's so much like emotional baggage that i had before that i don't now Mm. and so i i will say just generally speaking that sex is more of a like a, a whole mind body experience instead of just a like physical pleasure experience for me um and it kind of started being like that post hormones, like even right. before surgery, uh, but definitely more so now. Like before, like I could wake up in the morning, masturbate, have an orgasm and get on with my day. Uh, but now, like I have to be in the right state of mind. I can get distracted and ruin the whole thing. I can get overstimulated. And I feel like a lot of that is more psychological than physical. Mm-hmm. And I feel like I had a whole lot of emotional baggage that just never let me function that way before. And so like, as far as the physical sensation goes, like, obviously it's, I mean, it's the, I mean, it's the kind of the same set of skin, uh, right. but it being like penetrated as opposed to penetrating uh, or, you know, using my hand uh, in, in different ways. Like the physical sensation is obviously different. Um, I mean, it, it's, it definitely, it feels like the same category of pleasure, but it is different. Um but for me, like I said, honestly, I think the um, the the psychological thing is really it because like I was as uncomfortable as I was with my penis before surgery. Uh, for me, it was kind of like a means to an end. And so it's like if I'm not having a bad dysphoria day, I can at least use this thing to feel good for a minute. Mm. Um, and, and I mean, there were days where I couldn't do that uh, and days where I thought I could and figured out I couldn't and had a terrible rest of my day because of it. Um, 
but but I, I like I don't have that I don't have that baggage now. Like for me, it's like if I'm in the mood, I can do it because my body makes sense to me, and I can have an orgasm. Like provided the you know the environment and the circumstances are right, like I can have an orgasm, I can have fun, I can feel good. Um, and it's like one of my favorite things to do is to just get like slightly drunk, have an orgasm and fall asleep. And it's the best sleep. <laughs> that is good. Like I'm a lightweight now, so a wine cooler would do it, but yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah <it's a> <laughs> two, two white claws for me. <laughs> oh yeah. I see. I got some white claw and I was, re- I was all ready to love it. And I was like, I don't know. I don't know. Somebody told me, what was the other brand? Somebody told me was better. It was Starts Ryan. with a B. No, like Bond, Bond something. No, but, Ryan told you. I know Ryan told me, but I don't know what the brand was. Yeah, know. and I'm like, I mean, I'm equal opportunity. Like, I like White Claw, but I also like really expensive whiskey too. So, like, uh-huh. I I have, uh, and that I think <laughs> this is this is a joke, but if, I I feel like that's because I've sort of recently come into the understanding that I'm not not exactly like binary trans woman, right? Uh, and so I'm just thinking like, I like the like old rich man expensive whiskey and also the super basic white girl stuff oh nice because <laughs> i was just thinking i'm like oh that's what i like and that's what ken likes so yeah you've covered all the bases yes we are all the same people like that's yes. what it comes back to right <laughs> oh that's funny so a good part of what you were feeling i think you know and there's I, I it's you know your answer could be to the question like you know what was causing these things it could be an all of the above sort of thing because whenever we go through any surgery, our body thinks it's been stabbed and poisoned. Yeah. And the, you know, the result after that is that there's a lot of emotional baggage that goes with that, especially if it's something in, that's in a genital region, mm-hmm. you know, even if it's a positive, I mean, I think eight weeks is way too soon to figure something like that out afterwards, but like, you know, oh, yeah, your journey absolutely. Is, I think is going to help a lot of people understand. Yeah. And, uh, and, I, I kind of had to keep being reminded of that because it was like I had weight loss surgery uh, only about like eight or 10 months previous to that. And uh, I just like I would complain about like, like, gosh, like I'm so tired. And somebody was like, you understand what your body's been through in the last year? Like you really need to chill out and just like let yourself relax and heal Nap. a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Recharge the batteries. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Um, and And I mean, I didn't. As far as like physicality goes, it would t- it took almost a year for me to feel like, oh, like I'm like regular person, like back to pre-surgery, like energy levels and capacity for like physical activity and stuff. Mm. Wow. What a year. No shit, I mean, right? Yeah. <laughs> so I-, I find something interesting. You know, you were saying right now you kind of – fall kind of on the non-binary side of things. And for those cis people listening along, you know, we're, we're as a society, we're a lot more savvy when it comes to trans issues than we were even five years ago. Mm-hmm. And, but I think that, you know, people are still very much stuck in the binary, like, oh, you were assigned male at birth, you were in the wrong body. So now you're like, woman, femme, 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 woman, woman. And, and it, it kind of blows people's minds apart when it's like, Yes, you can, um, you know, have this surgery and change things, but you can also still be more on the non-binary side of things. So can Mm -hmm. you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. Uh, And this is, I mean, this is a relatively recent way of thinking for me. Um, It's something like I've kind of been rolling around for a while. Uh, But for me, like when I think about, okay, why, why do I think I'm a woman? And almost all of the answers that I can think of 
have to do with like gender essentialist shit of one kind or another. Right. Like, Mm -hmm. so like I relate to people in a stereotypically feminine way, like emotionally, psychologically, relationally, uh, I tend to fit better socially with the way women tend to do things. Um, but that's still a gender stereotype, right? Like if, if a man does that, it doesn't make him less of a man. Right. Um, and then there's also like some masculine stuff that I like. I'm not like aesthetically, I'm not the most femme person. Uh, I like flannels and skinny jeans and band t-shirts and like side shave haircuts and all of that sort of stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, and so like when I just think about like, okay, so like, why am I a woman? And it's all like bullshit gender stereotypes. Why am I not a man? It's all bullshit gender stereotypes. And the, like the more and more I think about gender, like gender just doesn't make sense to me. And so like, I'm like opting out. (laughs) I like that opting out just like fuck this shit. I mean, if we all kind of opted out of gender, God, our world would be such a better place. Yeah. You know, I just like, I, I try really, really hard not to like, not to invalidate the experiences of other people. Uh, you know, because there are lots of people who say like, you know, like woman makes sense to me and I can't think of a reason why it doesn't make sense. There are people that Um, feel very binary and and that's, yeah. yeah, And I like, I totally honor and respect that. Uh, it's just, you know, for me, I've kind of gotten, gotten to a place where, um, I'm just like, I'm not really interested in like trying to figure out a way that I fit into that system. Um, you know, if I'm, if I'm comparing myself to gender stereotypes, then like, I definitely fall more on like the woman side than the man side of things. Mm -hmm. Um, but I'm not like, I'm just like not super interested anymore in trying to like name that like as my identity and, um, and yeah, and that that's that's kind of where I like it was literally like after some drinks and talking with a friend last night. It was literally like last night that I was like, okay, for sure, I'm using this term to describe myself now. So wait, this is like breaking exclusive. <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, like fresh off the white claw. Like, yeah. <laughs> Well, and depending on when this episode of the show comes out, you might be hearing about it on the show before you hear about it on mine. <laughs> okay. So to us, it's breaking, but maybe not to the rest of the world. <laughs> no, no, no. I'm saying, I'm saying it, it, it just depends. Like if right. this is going to come out before uh, this Thursday upcoming, it'll be here before it's on my and show. And it won't. So we don't have okay. the exclusive. You do. Out. You have your own exclusive. Yeah. <laughs> so so I, I have a quick question for you. Did you feel any loss of male privilege after you transitioned? Oh my God. Yes. Especially, uh, especially like as a musician and someone with an audio engineering background, um, the, the first time I was mansplained to, uh, (laughs) oh my God. Okay. Sorry. I don't mean to laugh, but it's no, it's, I mean, it's one of those like laugh so you don't cry kind of things. Yes. Yeah. I, uh, I was in a Facebook group for audio engineers and lots of folks in there like ran recording studios for a living. And I did that for like six months. So these folks are like no more than me, more experienced than me. I was just kind of there to learn and get insights from those folks. And somebody made a thread about getting good guitar tones. And I was like, ooh, this is one that I actually have uh, a contribution to. And I made a post about like what I do to get good guitar tones that I really, really liked. And like, you would have thought that I was telling everyone to poop inside a guitar amplifier, like the way, that <laughs> people, like the way that people just like talk down to me. And I was like, this is really weird because like, this is only a slightly modified version of something that a lot of like bigger producers use. And I was just so confused and it it would it had literally been like three or four days since I changed my name on Facebook and changed my profile picture and I was like, Oh, oh 
this is what's happening. Uh, and then, you know, not too long after that, start getting cat called, uh, just like having to, it, it, you know, not being assumed that I had, uh, informed opinions. Uh, cause this was also at a time where I was very, very active in, uh, like online atheist communities. Mm-hmm. And like when I would have like debates and arguments with people, there was definitely a shift in how seriously I was taken when I entered a discussion, mm-hmm. uh, uh, pre and post, like the way that I was presenting on uh, Facebook. And, um, and what was really interesting was, uh, I worked at a call center at this point mm-hmm. and, uh, and I've like, I don't have the most femme voice and I'm not really super interested in having one. Uh, but for a while I was really trying really hard and I, I actually took, had like a little notepad on my desk and when callers would gender me as a man or gender me as a woman, I just kind of made note at how their attitudes were different toward oh. me. Uh, and of course, because I was doing tech support for internet, uh, obviously <laughs> like men are the smartest and best at technical things, right? Oh, I well, so uh, beg to differ. Naturally. Oh, no, oh my God, <laughs> yeah. I beg to differ. Uh, yeah, I know, I know. And it oh was just, my God. I can't was, imagine how awful our podcast would be if I had anything yeah, to do with I'm the, the tech person stuff. in this house. I am, <laughs> yeah. And it was just so wild to see the difference. And I was like, this is the only explanation for that because the correlation was so strong. Uh, you know, like I know what I'm doing, sweetheart. And really, Oh, Oh, absolutely. Yeah. It was, Do you ever like, get I mean, it like, was like, ever call you a little lady. I don't know that I ever got that, but there was lots of lady. Like, <laughs> like I just need you to fix my internet lady. Like that kind uh. of stuff. Um, thankfully my coworkers, I never got any of that from my coworkers, which was really nice. Yeah. Uh, it was actually really interesting. There was lots and lots of gender diversity, uh, in where I worked. And I think that had a lot to do with it. I actually can't remember a time that I felt like I was experiencing blatant sexism from like my coworkers, uh, but from customers all the damn time. Damn. Um, but yeah, like pretty much anything that you hear about from folks like navigating the world as a woman, I started to experience pretty quickly. Um, and, and I used to be like confessional time. Like I used to be one of those people that's like, oh, male privilege is bullshit. That's not a thing. Um, and, <laughs> and honestly, like it took me transitioning to realize like, wow, I was a jackass. I was so, so wrong about wow. all of that. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I'm like, ah, ah, I've been validated. Yeah. You were much wiser than I. It took me nearly 40 something years to come to the same conclusion. Yeah. Like I'm 50 and I'm still learning how wrong I was on almost everything. And and I think though, you know, even though, you know, there are a lot of cis men that are waking up to the fact that this is happening and they're like, holy shit, it's happening. It's like, it's one of those things that's just like anything. You don't really know until you've actually been in those shoes. Mm-hmm. Like, and if, it's even, if, yeah. It, and it's even more interesting now that, you know, when I go out into the world, I'm kind of like visibly queer, right? Cause it's usually like tank top, sh- skinny jeans, denim vest, uh, backwards Starfleet hat, like very obviously like nerdy, queer, not exactly gender conforming. And so like right. a lot of times I find people just kind of, uh, people either read me as a butch lesbian or they just kind of don't know what to do with me. Right. And, um, thankfully like people like being mean to me is not not something that happens commonly where i'm at thankfully uh but there are definitely a lot of like what the fuck is going on over there with like what's what's that person doing uh (laughs) and honestly like as long as it doesn't come with like meanness that's actually kind of fun for me (laughs) 
you like confusing the fuck out of people. <laughs> so I have a yeah. very important question. Now that I worry, now that I know that you wore a Starfleet hat, which mm. Star Trek series is superior and why? Okay, so this is a two-part <laughs> answer. Um, the the so answer one is Deep Space Nine. Interesting, uh, and because it has the most, uh, it has the the deepest, most complicated and well fleshed out characters, uh, and uh, far more complicated morality plays than any of the other shows, I think. And then answer one A is if I get two or three seasons more of Discovery and it's as good as it has been, it will probably become my favorite. Ooh, ooh, good answer. Nice, nice. Yeah. All right, so we'll set our geekiness aside for some closing words for <laughs> not that we, you know, we're really good to set our geekiness. Aside. No, we're not. We're not. Cause you, we should really shouldn't ever that's, set that's our geekiness aside. I know. I, I know. I know. I that's know. Ridiculous. Foolish mortal. There's like but, steam coming out of my ears right now. I don't know. I know. How to I know. It's <laughs> like, can I take that? Yeah. I'll just edit this whole thing out and be like, yeah, Star Trek. Okay. Closing words. So I still want to have Klingon sex, though, sweetheart. At some point, can we please have Klingon sex? Sure. Yeah. Do you have two penises? I could. Okay. We have we have all sorts of strap-on stuff. Yeah. Cool. I'm just saying, like, that's a requirement. If you're gonna have sex and call it Klingon sex, that's what you gotta do. Yeah. And, and as long as it's violent with two penises, I'm, 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 like, I'm yeah, I'm down for that. Like, I'm totally down for <laughs> I'm that. I'm totally down for that. All right. Cool. Klingon sex happening. Uh. So. <laughs> oh come on! You can't know. Not true is the word. Oh, <laughs> I love it. I love that's it. That's the that's the 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 Klingon verb for to have sex. Ooh. Oh, I just said it was okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I, I wish I could say like, where is the bathroom? Like Big that would Klingon? be the touristy thing to say. Yeah. Nuktak och puchpa. Oh my goodness. <laughs> I heart you. This is amazing. <laughs> this if is you amazing. start singing Klingon opera. You've got a super fan for life. I don't know Klingon opera. I do know a Klingon song or two, but not, <laughs> oh not opera. Oh, my goodness. This is amazing. This is amazing. But quickly, we're going to wrap this up, but we're going to keep talking. And maybe, um, American fuckers, you can go over to our Patreon at patreon.com slash American sex and hear more of our conversation, as well as, Kelly, you have a Patreon as well, right? I do indeed. Patreon.com slash queersplaining. Okay, cool. So whatever conversation that we have that ends up on my Patreon is going to end up on the Queer Splaining Patreon. So <laughs> keep that in mind. But quick, Kelly, do you have any closing words in English? Um, for <laughs> <laughs> You don't think all of our fans speak Klingon? I think you're the only one of our fans that doesn't speak Klingon, Sonny. Or at least have a vague understanding of what was being said. Okay, so Just more saying. evidence that you and I are the same person. I was totally going to jokingly start talking in Klingon. <laughs> hilarious oh i'm crying oh <laughs> but closing words in english um for those listening for the american fuckers listening along that are like you know what maybe they're in the same place that you were just before you sat down at that keyboard typing in those search terms making all of this real what would you go back and tell either you know you then or listeners listening that are in that same position Honestly, I think the most important thing that I could tell someone in that place is that like asking these questions is okay. Because 
for me, honestly, the the most difficult part of all of it was just figuring out that like it's okay for me to question whether or not I fit into like what I was handed in a and in a, in a the sense of gender like when I was born by my upbringing like I've had all of that pushed on me and handed to me and it is okay for me to question that uh, that honestly for me was kind of the hardest hill to climb mm. once I figured out that it was okay to ask those questions and that it was okay to figure out that um, you know this doesn't make sense to me in the way that it used to uh, or it never made sense and I'm kind of figuring out you know, what does make sense to me. Um, those things were so much easier to do for me once I realized it was just okay to ask those questions. Um, glad, uh, glaad.org is a good place to go uh, to kind of explore uh, some of the, the different terminology that people use around identities. Um, you know, my, my podcast is probably not the best for 101 kind of stuff, mm -hmm. uh, but there is definitely a lot of exploration of both like sexual orientation and sexual identity uh, and gender identity uh, and sort of unpacking like what we've been handed uh, around like gender and sexuality and that kind of stuff. Um, so like my podcast, probably not the place to go if you're like very, very, very at the beginning mm -hmm. of questioning. But I mean, Maybe you can still get some things out of it, um, but the the Glad website is great. Um, there's also a website, uh, I think it's transwhat.org. Mm -hmm. um, so if you're feeling some gender feels, transwhat.org is a real pl a good place to go. It's very 101. Uh, there's a section for folks who think they might be trans, and there's also a section for allies, uh, for uh, friends and family who like kind of want to understand what this person they love is going through and how to be supportive. Um, so that's those are both like really good resources for that. Wonderful. And for those listening along, I will put all of those links in our show notes for this episode at americansexpodcast.com. And um, what are other places that people can find you? Is like your queer splaining website and your social media? Give us the stuff. Yeah, queersplaining.com is the site. Uh, and obviously, you can listen on, you know, anywhere you find podcasts, you can find mine. I'm at Callie Gets It on Twitter and Instagram. And I'm Callie Wright on Facebook. Awesome. Awesome. And I just wanted to say, Rosin Katlicha. Thank, thank you for being on the show. <laughs> oh, nice. <laughs> nice. Oh, God. You guys. Are... <laughs> <laughs> I hurt you. Oh, my God. This is the geekiest conversation I've ever been a part of, and I kind of love it. For All the record, right, so... I said, You honor me, my friend. Yes, yes, yay. All right, so we're, we are going to say goodbye here. Bye, American fuckers. Bye, bye, bye. Kelly. Thanks. And uh, we're going to hop on over to Patreon. <laughs> bye. Thanks for listening to American Sex. To keep up with Ken and I, we'll first make sure you watch our TV show, Sex with Sunny Megatron, on Showtime. Then visit SunnyMegatron.com. There you can learn more about us, read our blog, peruse our workshop calendar, or hire us. For what? Well, either for private coaching, or to book us to teach at your event or university, or as sex and relationship writers for your publication. Oh, and don't forget, we're on social media, too. I'm the super social one, so you can find me as Sunny Megatron on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, my YouTube channel, and a bunch of other places. But if you want to get me on Snapchat, you got to look for Sunny underscore Megatron, and you can follow Ken on Twitter at at tag Psychicken. That's P-S-Y-C-H-I-C-K-E-N. 
Also, please support us by shopping with the affiliates and sponsors from our breaks. And if you contribute to our Patreon, we're going to love you forever. Well, we're going to love you forever anyway, but just go with it. Lastly, if you like this broadcast, tell people about it. Tweet it, Facebook status it, and rate it on iTunes and other platforms. Thanks, friends. We'll see you next week on American Sex.